You're listening to a rebroadcast of a live walk talk from Instagram. Everywhere today on the globe. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and start my intro while we get loaded up. We got Orlando, India. All right, so if you're new to my ministry, my name is Matt McMillan. I am a Christian author. I've written seven books so far. All my books are available on Amazon. If you have read any of my books, I would greatly appreciate a review. Please go back to Amazon and leave a review. I also have a podcast. The name of my podcast is Walk Talks with Matt McMillan. I am currently recording the latest episode live, and I appreciate my live audience. You guys make it a lot of fun. If you are listening to the podcast, please pause the podcast. Don't do it if you're driving. Wait till you get somewhere. (laughs) But hit pause and then leave me a quick review. I would greatly appreciate that. I'm not a pastor. I'm a regular person just like you. Nothing against pastors, but that word is only used once in the New Testament. There are some translations that attempt to make it seem as if it is mentioned more than once, but it's only mentioned once. And it's in Ephesians chapter 4. The word pastor does not describe what we see today in our modern church on Sundays, where there's one person on stage in front of everybody giving their opinion. It's not there. We don't see that anywhere in the Bible. So there's no qualifications listed for a pastor. There's no authority listed for pastor. So we have to change our mind in regard to this word pastor. The reason why we think a pastor is somebody in charge of a group at a building is because of a man who started this way back in the first century. Around 100 AD, Ignatius of Antioch took this word and created a position. He then put people in charge and then said, nobody can do anything unless you're here. Nobody can do anything without the pastor present. And then eventually over time, pretty much became commonplace. By 250 AD, this word pastor had become a position. However, that's nowhere to be found in the Bible. It's not there. It's just not there. You know, I say that a lot. It's not there because there's so many things that we believe about scripture and it's just not there, including this word pastor. So we got to take our focus off of individual people and put it back onto the truth of the gospel. And the Bible does tell us this. We are a body. We're a body of Christ. There is no top-down authority on this side of the cross. There's no honorific titles. There's no individual who is in charge of you. So if you are letting somebody be in charge of you, you are letting them be in charge of you. There's no biblical foundation for that. So you can renew your mind to this. Am I saying disrespect people? Absolutely not. I'm actually saying the opposite. Love them. (laughs) Respect them. Find ways to build bridges. Find ground of commonality. At your core, you want to love people who are struggling with finding their identity in titles. No matter what it is, we don't have titles. Even me, when I say Christian author, I'm not a Christian author. That is something that I've done 
But most people who are new to my ministry, they don't understand that my foundation of my ministry is set on identity. So they want to know, what is it about you that I need to pay attention to? So, you know, for Google purposes, I say I'm a Christian author, but I'm not a Christian author. That is something that I have done. That is something that I am good at. That is one of my gifts. I am not my gifts. I'm a child of God. I'm a saint. I'm a holy one. So same thing when it comes to pastor. So I always put that in my introduction because I know you hear this repeatedly and I want to renew your mind to the truth of what the Bible says about the word pastor. You don't have to have a seminary degree to tell people about Jesus. You don't have to have a seminary degree to say anything, (laughs) to do anything. Nobody in the Bible had a seminary degree. All right. So, um, if you, oh, also I don't know everything. So when you see me in my walk talks, you can trust that I'm not attempting to know everything to dominate you with my knowledge. I am simply being passionate about what I already know so far, but I'm just like you. I'm learning and growing. I have no secret knowledge. The only knowledge, the best kept secret from day one that you need to know is the gospel. That's it. That's the secret knowledge. Jesus, once you understand that Christ is your knowledge, you have nothing to prove. And when I say Christ is your knowledge, the gospel is the secret. What is that? What is that just, oh yeah, whatever. Don't know what that means. Uh, Jesus, yeah, the gospel, secret knowledge. When I say the gospel, or when I say Jesus, I'm talking about two primary things, the cross, okay, the cross, the cross has caused you to become completely forgiven once and for all time, okay, I will never change my mind on that, there's no other way to God, he is the only way, and you have to be forgiven through the cross, but it didn't just stop there, a lot of people know about that, (laughs) the resurrection, So when the cross happened, he forgave you. So you went from a negative 100 to a zero. He didn't leave you there. The resurrection happened. So when the resurrection happened, you went from a zero to off the charts. So those are the things I will not change my mind about. The cross and the resurrection. Those two things I won't sway on, but everything else I'm learning and growing just like you. I'm going to share with you what I know so far. (laughs) You know, there's nothing gaping theology wise in anybody's theology. As long as you have the cross and the resurrection as your foundation, everything else we can talk about, we can learn about, we can be passionate about, but you don't know what you don't know until you know it. So don't be angry at yourself. Don't be disappointed in yourself. From the moment you believed in Jesus by grace, you lack nothing. He writes his law, excuse me, laws, not law, (laughs) to be clear on that, not law, but laws on on your heart and mind. Not the law of Moses. Some people think that when you become a Christian, God writes the law of Moses on your heart and mind. No. The book of Hebrews specifically changes that word when it is used in the Old Testament from law to laws. Why? Because the author wanted to be sure the Hebrews knew 
I'm not talking about the Mosaic Covenant. I'm not talking about your 613 commandments. God does not write 613 commandments on your heart and mind. He writes himself. <laughs> That's why he says, nobody's going to have to teach you. Hello. Now there are teaching gifts, but you know what you need to know because everything that you didn't know in regard to who Christ is, was crucified at the cross, buried in the tomb, and then you were resurrected as a brand new creation. All right, so that's what I do know. That's what I'll stick to. Um, if you want to contact me, I always welcome your interaction. Unless you abuse that interaction, then I don't welcome your interaction. You can just keep it to yourself. Um, <laughs> don't know how else to say that. I enjoy interacting with you guys, but some people take advantage of it, abuse it. I'll start ignoring your messages. And if you continue, <laughs> I'm going to block your email address. <laughs> so, so please have some scruples. Okay. I'm not an encyclopedia. I just told you, I don't know everything. So use Google, reach out to somebody else. Okay. I'm going to let you know what I know so far. <laughs> All right. You can also go to my website, go to the topics page. I have been writing for years. You could read absolutely everything I've ever written, all my books, except for my first one, for free on my website. Every Bible verse, every Bible topic, it's there. Okay. All right. So, um, oh, if you, yeah, and if you do want to contact me, just go to my website, go over to the contact page, or you can email me directly. My email address is matt, that's M A T T, at mattmcmillan.com. All right. So let's get to today's walk talk. How do I do the will of God? How? What is it that I gotta do? What is it? Now, before I continue with today's walk talk, I do want to talk on two things about my previous walk talk that I just did a few days ago, a couple days ago. Um, sometimes when I do these walk talks, <laughs> you'll notice some days, you know, I be, I get triggered and then, you know, I just keep going for a little bit. Sometimes when I do that, I will attempt to quote certain parts of the Bible, but I'll get where they're at wrong. I know where they're at, but when I'm saying it, <laughs> it can come out wrong as far as where it's at. And I did that twice in my last walk talk. And I just wanted to point that out because I'm thinking of it right now. I said the old covenant is obsolete. And I said, that's in Romans. That's not in Romans. That's in the book of Hebrews. I also said that Paul said, you have been sanctified past tense. And I said, that's also in the book of Romans. That's not in the book of Romans. I said, Romans six, that's actually in first Corinthians six. Now I know that but the reason why I said that was because I was teaching on the book of Romans, uh, Romans one through four in my last walk talk. Be sure to check that out. It was a really popular one and I really enjoyed it. Um, but back to this walk talk, how do I do the will of God? This is probably the most often query that I get in my inbox. There's so many people who they don't understand what the will of God is. They're afraid. They don't know where to start. They think they've messed up the will of God. They think that uh, it's too late for them, that they've sinned too big. They've out the will of God. They also believe that they're not hitting the bullseye of God's will, but just around that bullseye. And they're sinning, so they're not hitting God's will. They've done this in the past, so they're not hitting God's will. Whatever. 
They think the will of God is a work. I'm going to repeat that. They think the will of God is a work. Anytime we turn anything into a work, Paul said it's not based on grace. Therefore, if it's not based on grace, you know you're dealing with some, something erroneous. So when you get the feeling of this is a work, whether you want to turn repentance into a work, confession into a work, mission trip into a work, studies into a work, writing books into a work, taking care of your body physically into a work, whatever it is that you're attempting to turn into a work, let that be just the biggest red flag for you. If there's one thing you can remember today, that is not the will of God. Let the will of God be clear to you that it is easy, burden-free, and light. Now, we see in Matthew 7, 21, Jesus is talking, and this is a paramount passage for a lot of people who push works-based righteousness or works-based rewards in heaven. Both of those are wrong. Righteousness is a free gift. There's no rewards, plural, in heaven. There's not a reward ceremony. <laughs> we all get rewarded the same. It is the reward of the inheritance, Paul said in Colossians chapter 3. And we have received that in full right now because of what Christ has done and we've believed. So when our physical body wears out, stops living, we will immediately see ourselves for who we actually are, and we will receive a new physical body. Now, I don't know how to explain anything else. I cannot explain heaven. I cannot explain what happens. But here's what I know doesn't happen. There's no Bema seat. Bema seats, the Bema seat was the seat that the Jews sat on in order to judge people according to the law. We don't get that. Okay, it's not going to be a Bema seat where there's Billy Graham. God love him. He gets the gold. Mother Teresa, she gets the silver. And then whoever else gets the bronze. And then all of us are just cheering in the crowd at this great Coliseum in heaven. And then Billy Graham, you know, I love Billy Graham. I've got friends who are Billy Graham's relatives. So if you're watching this, I'm not picking on your grandpa or your dad or your relative. Okay. I love them. Okay. Love you guys too. The Grahams are great people. But my point is Billy Graham did not earn anything. And when he passed into heaven, he did not earn a single reward. He did not earn a single anything. He just entered into eternity and trust me, it's going to be good. <laughs> But the will of God is not for Billy Graham or Mother Teresa or me or you or anybody to do a bunch of work in order to earn rewards in heaven or in order to uh, prove our righteousness on earth. We don't do that. So when we go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, and Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of God, but only those who do the will of my father. What does that mean? Not everyone who says to him, Lord, Lord, will enter into heaven, but only those who do the will of the father. 
Now, some people will say it like that and then they'll say, so you better get to work. But here's the thing. Jesus then lists people who did a bunch of work. Matthew 7, 23, they prophesied. The word prophesy means to speak out. The word prophesy. It's all right, buddy. I know it's your yard. I got you. I'm almost gone. You're good. Check him out. He's a big guard dog. You're all right. Where was I? You knocked me off track, man. Give, give me a break here. Give me a break. I'm almost gone. <laughs> All right. So Matthew chapter seven. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get out of your view. Just give me a minute. You're, I know you're big. You're tough. <laughs> Matthew chapter seven. So we see the passage where Jesus says, Lord, Lord. Or where we see the passage where Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father. And then he says, many will say to me, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not perform miracles? And I will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Why would he say that? Because they were workers of the law of Moses. They were looking to their works to be the will of God. They were looking to obeying the commandments to be the will of God. That's why he says workers of lawlessness. A lot of people will say, well, these are just sinners. Yeah, they are sinners because a sinner is somebody who does not believe God. <laughs> That's what a sinner is. And these people did not believe God. How do we know that? Because back in John chapter six, verse 29 and 40, Jesus tells them that the will of the father is to believe in the one whom he has sent. He actually interchanges in both of these passages, John 6, 29 and 6, 40. He interchanges the word will with work because they couldn't get it. It's the same thing we see today. People think that the will of God is to work, but it's not. The will of God is to believe in the one whom he has sent. These people were working according to the law, but still not believing God. These people were prophesying. Now, some people will say they're prophesying and they're doing it the wrong way. They're, here's why their prophesying was not the will of God. And he says it in Matthew chapter 7. They're not prophesying about me, Jesus. What does the word prophesy mean? It means to speak out. So the true prophets spoke out and said, this is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, such as John the baptizer. But these guys were false prophets because they said Jesus is not the Messiah. Therefore, a prophet prophesies, speaks out. That's, that's what the word prophesy means, to speak out. They did not prophesy about me, he said. Therefore, you never did the will of the Father. 
So we can't call people false prophets just because they're struggling with some type of error. You know, you know somebody is a false prophet by one key. And it's simple. Jesus tells us. Everybody who says Jesus is not the Messiah. That's it. Let that be your foundation, your, <laughs> your rule of thumb. A false prophet is somebody who does not say Jesus is the Messiah. All right, now you, you can list away. <laughs> there's tons of them. But there's a lot of Christian brothers and sisters who attack other Christian brothers and sisters and call them false prophets, call them wolves. Who was a wolf? Those who did not prophesy about me. Those who said, I'm not the Messiah. Of course, that's what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter seven. Ravenous wolves, Paul even called them. So we have to repent from calling people names, calling them false prophets. We don't even want to call certain individuals who we know are false prophets because they don't say Jesus is the Messiah. We don't want to name them as false prophets. We want to try to build a bridge with them. But we know that they're saying that Jesus is not the Messiah. He is a Messiah, but not the Messiah. Or, you know, he's the archangel Michael or whatever. But we don't want to we don't want to call people names. We want to love them, hang out, be friends. So we don't want to call brothers and sisters in Christ who are just struggling with some type of egregious, glaring error, but they're still saved because they say Jesus is the Messiah. And we don't want to call unbelievers false prophets, even though we know they're saying Jesus is not the Messiah. Jesus is not the son of God. Jesus is not my Messiah. I'm waiting on the Messiah. That's a false prophet. But they did not speak out about me, Jesus says. Okay, so that's how you know that's a false prophet because they were looking to the law for righteousness. They st there are still people today on this planet who are in this camp. They are workers of the law. They're looking to the law for righteousness. They will not prophesy about Jesus. Okay, <laughs> and then, you know, he says, did we not cast out demons? The casting, the word cast simply means to make get away from you or to leave your presence. Here's the thing when it comes to casting demons. There were unbelievers casting out demons in the gospels. The disciples reported this back to Jesus and Jesus said, just leave them alone. Okay, so casting out demons does not prove you've ever said Christ is the Messiah. There are pagan religions. People dance around campfires all the time. They're just, you know, going crazy and they think they're casting out demons. Christ has nothing to do with that. He's not involved with that whatsoever. Casting out demons is not the will of the, of the father. <laughs> Prophesying and saying Jesus is not the Messiah is not the will of the father. And what else? Did we not perform miracles? And again, did we not? They are asking Jesus a question. Did we not? So a couple different things when it comes to miracles. <laughs> miracles are real. Miracles happen. They're rare for a reason. They're, that's why they're called miracles. Can God perform a miracle? Yes, he's God. He can do anything he wants. But we don't boss God around. We don't tell him what to do. We don't demand miracles. We don't increase our faith so we can get a miracle. No, we rest. We trust. We let our needs be made known to the creator. 
and then we are content in all things and his grace is sufficient. But if somebody's saying, I performed miracles, a couple different options there. First of all, you don't have to be a Christian or a believer of God in order to make it appear as if you perform miracles. Look at Pharaoh's magicians in the book of Exodus. They look like they perform miracles. You know, Moses did his thing. The magicians did their things. It looked like they performed miracles. Were they Christians? No. Or were they believe Christ wasn't around? Did they believe Yahweh? The same God? No. <laughs> miracles don't. And Jesus even tells them, I never knew you. Never. Never means never. This isn't somebody who, you know, didn't prophesy properly, didn't cast out demons properly, didn't perform miracles properly. No, these are people who never did the will of the Father. <laughs> What's the will of the Father? This, this section of scripture is just so twisted by so many people. But all we have to do is look for the will of the Father in the Gospels. Believe Jesus. You know, and then we have Christians who struggle with covenant mixture theology. It doesn't mean they're not saved. It means they're attempting to put new wine into old wineskins. It doesn't mean they're not a Christian. It just means they're struggling with that error. You are saved by grace through faith in what Christ has done one time. So, you know, I get people who comment on my stuff all the time. Christ is going to empower us to follow the law. No. Paul told the Galatians, the law is not of faith. He told the Romans, Christ is the end of the law for all who will believe. So what's that say? The law is still in full effect for everybody who does not believe. If you want to put yourself under it. If you want to put yourself under it. <laughs> if you want to put yourself under it. Whether you're an unbelieving Jewish person who your ancestor did have it, did have it, or you're a Gentile who you were never given the law to begin with. You were without hope in regard to that covenant, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2. Look at it this way. Let's say I go to trial and I'm accused of something. And then the judge, for whatever reason, I'm guilty. But for whatever reason, he says, not guilty. You're not guilty. You can go. And then I leave. And then I go back into that courtroom and I'm like, but I want you to put me under this accusation again, judge, please. He's like, uh, you're not guilty. It's not, it has nothing to do with you any longer. Leave my courthouse. But I really want you to put me under this accusation again. But you're free. Get out of here. But no, you don't understand. Now that I'm free, I'm really going to come back in here and I, I am going to be empowered to be under these accusations. That's what we do when we attempt to put ourselves under the law. First of all, if I could just shout this from the mountaintops and I get triggered when I think about it because covenant mixture theology is the worst theology on the planet and it is the most blatant. You're a Gentile, more than likely a non-Jew. You never had the law to begin with. It's not yours. You're attempting to put yourself under somebody else's accusations in a different country, so to speak. If you're Jewish, <laughs> Christ has made that obsolete in himself. So you're not without excuse either. There's nothing special about your lineage any longer in regard to you and your relationship with Yahweh. 
the Messiah came from your bloodline, Jewish person. All of your scriptures prophesy about him. And he has come and he is here. There will not be another Messiah. There will be false messiahs. But you have to repent away from your Jewish lineage to this Jesus. You, you have to trust him. Okay, so nobody's without excuse. So if you want to do the will of the Father as a Gentile, a non-Jew, Jesus tells us, believe me. If you want to do the will of the Father as a Jewish person, Jesus tells us, believe me. <laughs> you know, this is so egregiously taught in our churches. They will say that even the demons believe and they shudder. Think about that for a moment. Think about that for a moment. If this isn't the biggest gangrene toe in our pulpits in regard to believing being enough, I don't know what else is. Think about that. You, if you think that, you are comparing your works to the works of a demon. Eh? Hello? You want to do that? You want to actually say, oh, I have better works than a demon. Get out of here. What does that mean? Demons don't have works. They've been studying humanity since day one of creation and they know how to trick people. And they want you to think you got to do more than I do because I have belief in Jesus too. Demons do not have the opportunity to believe for salvation. They're damned to hell. Do they know who Jesus is? Absolutely. Every demon has better theology than you. <laughs> they know the scriptures. The difference is they know they don't have a chance to believe in Jesus by grace. They are not human. Their belief gains them nothing. They have knowledge of Jesus, just like the Jews today who have knowledge of the Messiah. They know who he is, but they don't believe in him. Demons don't have the opportunity to believe in him. So when this demonic rebuttal is thrown out there, that's easy believism, even the demons believe. You can stand firm knowing that <laughs> you got it good and the demons do not. And this individual who could be a Christian, we don't know. You can never tell who is saved. You, the only way you can tell if somebody is not saved is if they say Jesus is not the Messiah. That's how you know. But even then, you know, me just saying that, even then, that's not always necessarily the truth. Because we have Christians who do believe, they trust Jesus they are saved, they are reborn, and then they get so sick of religion, they get so sick of church, they get so sick of hypocrisy, they get so sick of all this hiding, they know what's going on behind closed doors, and they have headed for the hills away from all of this church stuff. They don't want nothing to deal with, to do with it. They don't want to deal with it anymore. 
And now they're saying, I don't believe. I'm not a Christian. I'm deconstructing. Well, you're still saved, my friend. (laughs) You're still saved. Apostasy is impossible because you have done the will of the Father once. You can't resurrect your dead self. Romans chapter 6 says your old self died. Galatians chapter 2 says I have been crucified. Colossians chapter 2 says the same thing. So you have one of two options since apostasy is not possible in Christianity. Number one, you're still saved. You just have a TikTok channel where you're attacking Christians all day long and trying to pick them apart because you've been hurt. I've been there. (laughs) I know what it's like to be hurt. And it's a lot easier to be angry than to just be sad. And when I just allowed myself to be sad, I stopped being so angry. But you're still saved. Be sad. Mourn the relationships. Mourn what you used to be involved with. It's okay to be angry, but you don't want to stay there. Being angry is easier than being sad. But just be sad because you're grieving this. You're still saved. So that's option number one. You're still saved. But you're saying Jesus is not the Messiah. You're saying I'm not a Christian. You're still saved. You can't undo this. Where you go, he goes. You're one spirit with the Lord. You've trusted him. You've been reborn. Your supernatural rebirth into the family of God is final. You can't be unborn from God just in the same way as you can't be unborn from your earthly parents. This is why Jesus said to Nicodemus, don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. What do you mean? How can I go back in my mother's womb? We know that you have to be who you are, who you, we know that you have to be who you're saying you are because of all the miracles. Show me how to do that, Jesus. And then Nicodemus, one of the most well-behaved people on the planet, was saying, you're not even going to see the kingdom of God. Why? Because the kingdom was sitting right in front of him. Jesus is the kingdom. But he couldn't fathom this permanency of faith causing you to be reborn, not just of water, from your mother's womb, but of spirit, you were reborn. You are a child of God. You can't undo it. So you're going to go the next 50, 60, 70 years, however long you live, you're going to be saved, but you are corking a geyser of love. You are attempting to live the life of a chicken, but you are an eagle. And you're never going to feel more like yourself than when you just soar. You've been reborn to soar. You don't have to go back to church. You don't have to start reading your Bible. You don't have to stop sinning. You don't have to do anything. Be yourself. And organically, this will make sense. But you're still saved. So that's option number one. Option number two. (laughs) in regard to we can't tell if anybody's saved or not or if somebody says I'm I'm no longer a Christian I used to be but now I'm not okay somebody says they were a Christian now they're saying I'm not a Christian I don't believe in Jesus Jesus is not the Messiah so here's option number two 
You never believed. You're not saved. I can't tell. That's why Paul says, <laughs> Paul says, do not say who will ascend. Do not say who will descend. As in, don't say who's going to heaven or hell. We, sh- we can never tell. Even the people who say Christ is not the Messiah. Because they could have believed at some point. But if you did not believe Jesus one time in your life, you're right. You, you never were a Christian. You just played church. You just did what your religious relative wanted you to do. You tried stopping that particular sin. Couldn't pull it off, especially going to church so much. You were even on the worship team. You thought that saved you and it didn't. You might've even got your seminary degree. You might've been a pastor. You might've taught to children's church. You might've been involved with religion for a very, very long time. And now you're saying all of that was a bunch of bleh. It means nothing. It was a big show. You're right. It was a big show for you because you, just like the people in Matthew chapter seven, verse 21, you never did the will of the father. Jesus never knew you. (laughs) I'm not not laughing at that, but I think it's, I think it's interesting that this kind of matches up with that because they did all this stuff. You did all this stuff, but you never trusted. I don't know if it's you. (laughs) If the shoe fits, wear it. But here's what we do know. When you believe Jesus, by no work of your own, by trusting him, one time in your life, you did the will of the Father. You did the will of the Father. It's complete. You have been born again. Now, if you think that you're attempting to do things to sustain your new birth into the family of God, question your salvation. I'm not saying don't think you're not saved. I'm just saying, think about how you were saved. And then also think about how you are staying saved. Here's another huge erroneous roadblock in regard to this section of scripture. Some people will say, you made him Lord, but you didn't make him Savior. All right, (laughs) I'm not naming names today, but I'm sure a lot of you people know exactly who and what and which group I'm talking about. You made him Lord, but you didn't make him Savior. You can see all these people, they called him Lord, but they never made him Savior. They prophesied, cast out demons, performed miracles. Only a Christian could do that, but they never made him Savior. That's error. If he's Lord, he is Savior. And just because I call somebody something doesn't mean I know them. You know, if I had Elon Musk's cell phone number and I dialed it up and I said, hey, what's up, Elon? How you doing, buddy? He would be like, who is this? I never knew you. I don't know you. Same with Jesus. Just because you say somebody's name, just because you know of somebody doesn't mean you have a personal relationship with them. And the way you have a personal relationship with him is not through work. 
It's not through prophesying, casting out demons, performing miracles, getting your seminary degree, going to church, uh, preaching on stage, uh, singing, uh, whatever. All those things are subcategories to knowing him. How do you know him? Do the will of the Father. If you will, Jesus knows you. That's why he says in John chapter 10, my sheep know me and I know them. <laughs> if you've trusted him, you know him. That's how you do the will of the father. Now, of course, I could do a five hour walk talk on this topic and I could list off countless passages in regard to every single question that everybody has. But of course, I don't have time for that. But I have written that way. Now, the will of God was my most studied topic for a couple years. And I wrote the top, one of my devotionals. You can actually read this for free on my website. Matter of fact, I'm going to put this link in the comments on Instagram here. And of course, you can't click on the link on Instagram. You have to, you have to retype it in your web browser. Um, but if you're watching on YouTube, I'll have it in the description. If you are listening on the podcast, I'll have it in the description. The title of that devotional is the top 10 lies about the will of God. The top 10 lies about the will of God. Matter of fact, this is one of the most Googled things on the internet in regard to the will of God. It's on the first page of Google when you type in the will of God. At least it was last time I checked. So I have over the years received more messages, more emails about the will of God and somebody not being in it or, or missing it or not sure if that's what it is. I stored up all of these messages. I saved every message. I saved every email and then I printed them all out and then I wrote about it. And that, that devotional took me a long time to write. It's very in-depth. I've got the top 10 lies in no particular order, but I do have some where I would say this would probably be the top one or two. Read that. Read that. The top 10 lies about the will of God. And I think it's in the Christian Identity Volume 2. I believe it is. It's in that book series as well. But you can read that chapter for free if you want. So, um, yeah. So it's, it's so simple. How do I do the will of God? Believe Jesus. So if you have believed Jesus, you have done the will of God. The will of God is complete. It is finished. It's done. So you're not doing anything ongoingly to do more stuff ongoingly to continue to accomplish the will of God. It's simple. You don't need to be in the paralysis of analysis. <laughs> don't know what to do, where to go. How am I doing it? Am I doing it right? Am I doing it wrong? Is this enough? Is this, is this too much? Who should I talk to? Who should I shouldn't talk to? You just don't want to be like that. <laughs> you can rest. You can trust. The thoughts are going to come. The doubts are going to come. And you just, you acknowledge them. And then you focus on the truth. What's the truth? Christ accomplished the will of God. I have come to do your will. In, in Jesus' humanity, he even said, not my will, but your will. <laughs> so many legalists will go to that. See, even Jesus said, not my will, but your will. Yeah, but he's talking about his humanity. He didn't, if somebody said, I'm going to kill you, you clearly that's not 
ultimately what you want physically. And he accomplished the full will of God at the cross. The Jews thought they were accomplishing the will of God through sacrifices and offerings. But the book of Hebrews says, sacrifices and offerings I did not want, but a body prepared. And Christ has come to do your will. And Jesus even said that. The will of God is Jesus. The will of God is Christ in you and through you. The will of God is simple <laughs> and you've accomplished it. So don't be afraid. Don't worry. If you have those thoughts where you think you're out of God's will, that's not true. You're in his will. The will of God is to give thanks in all things. <laughs> the will of God is to bear much fruit. The, the will of God is to love one another. The will of God is for you to be yourself. That's it. Even when everything's crashing all around you and nobody understands you and you just, you feel attacked or misunderstood and you think that I've got to change something about me. You don't. You need to continue to be yourself. The legalistic mind hears that and they hear sin. Continue to sin. Don't change your sin. But I'm going to shift your focus onto your righteousness. You're righteous. Your personality is great. Your likes, your dislikes, your gifts, your style. Keep that. You don't need to change yourself. You've been changed on the inside. God is not trying to change you. People try to change you. They want to make you look a certain way, sound a certain way. They want you to not be so focused on just Jesus. They want you to put God first, air quotes. <laughs> they want you to not forsake the assembly by attending a building, and that's not in the Bible. They want you to A, B, C, but you're free. You're free to go to a building if you want. You're free to not go to a building. <laughs> you're free to, if you want to go down the path of attempting to put works <laughs> in your daily schedule of attempting to put God first in your marriage and at work and with your temple and reading your Bible, good luck. <laughs> you can attempt it, but you're going to soon find out God is first. You've made God number one in your life. You have done the will of God. Because you trusted Jesus. So, so I hope this has encouraged you guys today. I hope it's brought to light some error about how do I do the will of God. It's simple. Trust Jesus and be yourself. That's it. <laughs> if you've trusted Jesus, you're, you're walking in the will of God. For the rest of your life and on into eternity. <laughs> So, all right, guys, always tell the truth about yourself. What's the truth? You're righteous. You're holy. You're blameless. You're a new creation. There's nothing wrong with you. You are walking dead center on the path of God's will for your life because you've trusted Jesus. So always tell the truth about yourself and always be yourself. Love y'all. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on this Walk Talk. 
please be sure to rate and review this podcast and share it with others. Subscribe right now so you don't miss out on any new content. To be encouraged daily, you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. If you want even more information on my ministry or to check out my books, go to www.mattmcmillan.com.